My dear grandmother, who lived to be 98 and passed away in June of 2016, was, uh, we had a very good relationship. We were very tight, even though we were many miles away. And I would talk with her every week on, on the phone. And, and it was one time, about 1999, 2000 time frame, where she just went on and on about how she was just discouraged with the moral state of the world. And she would just go on and on. She said, I just don't know how long God's going to put up with all of this. I mean, things just keep getting worse and worse. And I said, well, Grandma, I'm not exactly sure that's true. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, think about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, my goodness. Angels were sent to the land, and, and the men were so aggressive that the guy he's staying with has to pull them. He has to defend them, right? And what does he do to appease them? He offers his daughters. I said, so the state of man has always been sinful. And in that Tennessee accent, she said, I know that's a terrible story. It shouldn't even be in the Bible. (laughs) Well, tonight we've got some subject matter that if my dear grandmother was sitting here with us, might, might make her blush a little bit. But I think if we look beyond uh, the, the laws that we'll actually look at, we're going to see a theme that God wanted his people to have. So I'm very excited tonight to be able to share with you, excuse me, uh, be able to share with you next in this series on Leviticus. So Mike did a nice job last week of talking about the first part of purity, and, and as Wes is set up, Leviticus is set up kind of in a a mirrored format, right? Ritual in chapters 1 through 7 and 23 through 27. Priesthood 8, 10 and 22 and, excuse me, 21 and 22. Then in the middle, you've got uh, purity that Mike talked about uh, chapters 11 through 15 last week. And tonight, I want to zero in on chapters 18 through 20. So we're going from, Purity in terms of law to moral purity and what that meant meant for God's people. And as always, we'll make application to see what it means for us tonight. So tonight, I want to take a reminder from what Mike had put together when he said, why purity and why these laws and why would God put these laws in front of us? And as a reminder, they're to teach us to submit to God's will and control in our lives. And one of the things that is, he coined a term called otherly. Did you make that up or was that something? Oh, that's a, that's a West term. Do you make that up or get it somewhere? Okay. <laughs> I like it. Because we're going to see some other otherly, uh, situations tonight that, that are, that are, that are key to the lesson. To teach us through example. The Old Covenant Jews, what leads to temptation and to sin? And what it takes to live well, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, under God's very intimate care, right? And then ultimately to point us to God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Tonight, we shift from what we eat and how we treat skin maladies and some of the other things that were very specific to hygiene and other care, to how do we relate to our fellow man? 
Or put another way, maybe from attentiveness and obedience to proactive goodwill. Because that's obedience as well. Before we get into there, I'm glad uh, we were able to... Eric Eric led us in a couple of songs that I felt like really set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight. Because when you think about what God asked His people to do, I want us to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is very common to us and we, we, we go, you know, quite familiar with this verse. As the chapter unfolds, Moses continues to talk about He says, look, when you get to the promised land and get houses that you didn't build and they have things that you didn't provide, don't forget the Lord. And don't forget that He has provided you with all of these things. And he goes on to to develop the theme. And about verse 20, he says, and by the way, when your children say, why are we having to deal with all these specific laws and why, why are we adhering to all these things? He said, as a father, you go through and you tell them, because our God brought us out of Israel, out of Egypt. We were slaves there. We're to be his holy people. We're to live a certain way. And in verse 25, I want us to put this thought in the back of our minds and save it for later. Because a good Jewish father would say, and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, for a young boy, it might be difficult to, to, to understand. But as I read this, I thought, oh my goodness, isn't it enough to be a righteous person? Brothers and sisters, the happiest people I know are righteous, servant-hearted, I want to do something good for you proactively people. And if that turns into their righteousness... They would indeed be different, so very different, even more different then in that world than we are today in ours. But still the lesson remains that we are to be otherly and that our righteousness ought to be wrapped up in how we love to serve, not how we love to be served or being selfish in that regard. Another scripture that that came to mind was the interaction with Jesus and the man who said, "Um, Lord, what must I do? Notice the nature of the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your strength and all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Think about that concept. What must I do? And then, of course, we know Jesus went on to illustrate how that meted out as he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. So as we put these thoughts together, 
Please understand that it was always God and God's intent that his people, be they uh, the Jews of, of, of 1500 B.C., the first century Christians, or the, the Christians in North Texas in 2018, they were to be people who sought after doing goodwill for other people. And I want to give you one last setup uh, scripture for that. Back in uh, the summer when uh, Wes and I had the lesson to talk about uh, the end of chapter 5 of Matthew, we talked about taking the time to do goodwill. I was reminded of this passage because Wes read it that night. If you see your fellow Israelites' ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. They do not live uh, near you, or if you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it, then give it back. Don't say finders keepers. Give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they've lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelite's donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. This speaks of not just having to do something. How many times do your children say, do I have to? Do I have to? And I wonder how often God may be frustrated with us when we say, Lord, do I have to? Do I have to? Instead of, let me, let me look. Let me look for opportunities to help my fellow man. So, as we get into the text, we ask the question, why did God give the Israelites so many specific commands and laws? So what is the text in context? The context essentially says that it was a very, very wicked world. Why did God destroy the earth with the flood? The Bible says that man's only inclination was evil all the time. That's why he had to do it. Coming out of the land of Egypt, did they live in a pagan society? For 400 years, had they been around people who worshipped things that crawled on the ground? Animals, the sun, everything else? Absolutely. And had terrible practices as well. Things that are unconscionable to us were commonplace with pagan nations. And I'll, I'll stop for a minute here. Earlier in the week, I had a particular way I thought this lesson was going to go. And I, in doing some research on first century, excuse me, ancient uh, sexual practices of, of other nations, and some of the things we'll talk about here lately, here in a minute, literally made me tear up. It was so vile. The things that were, were done, particularly to children, just made my heart sick. But this was commonplace in the pagan nations that the Israelites had been in and in the land they were about to go into. And finally, this, the, the, the worship of Molech and fertility in general was, at, uh, was actually widespread and growing in the ancient world. So let's jump into the first part of the text. Chapter 18, if you're there. Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey 
my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for I am the person, excuse me, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So text in context. We'll talk about Moloch here in a minute, but I want to, I made them small text because they're not really gods. Is that good? <laughs> Molech rep- represented the male principle of life and, and of re- reproduction. It's mentioned eight times in the Bible, four times in Leviticus, three times in First and Second Kings, and once in Jeremiah. Uh, Asherah was considered his wife or the female goddess of uh, fertility. And in later years, Baal and Molech, it's hard to tell the difference between them. little context. Um, I'll, I'll give you one description from around this historian from around thir- 13, uh, 315 BC. Please understand that uh, this God had slipped down into northern Africa from Canaan and was called Kronos in northern Africa. There stands in their midst a bronze statue of Kronos, its hand extended over a bronze brazier, the flames of which will engulf the child. When the flames fall on the body, the limbs contract and the open mouth seems to almost be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier. The thought was if we give our firstborn to Molech, then we will be blessed in, in, in fertility for other children and in other ways. How sick is that? To, to, to flame, flame up a bronze Statue of a man with with a with a cow's head or a bull's head to to do that, but that's that, and that's all the uh, description we're going to give on Molech tonight. But understand, this was the world, and this was the land that the people were going into. Now, a minute ago I said it was more vile than it is today, and I, I stand by that. But as recent as 2011, the BBC did a story on an African uh, country that actually still practices child sacrifice, and it's part of a uh, a sexual practice as well. So let's talk about the sexual sins that are listed in chapter 18. And I'm going to go through these fairly rapidly. And then we're going to look at chapter 20 because 20 talks about the punishment associated with each. And I will have to say that most of these are common sense, but not everybody would agree with that. Um, Obviously not sacrificing your children. You can now see why this is slotted in with sexual sin. Um, God caused the land to literally, he says, vomit multiple times in chapter 18 and chapter 19. Vomit out the nations because of these detestable practices. And God's people were to have what? A heart that proactively wanted to do good. So with a pure heart, we were to, to, to pursue God. And I want to remind us where sin's origin is. I'm going to jump to James for a minute before we get into chapter 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, 
gives birth to death. So keep this in mind as we think about what's going on. Because when you look at chapter 18, and I looked at the different ways you could trip up, I thought about how you just didn't have respect for your your fellow man. And a heart that would prevent this action would not do these things. And the first thing is, you're going to treat your family with respect. If you're looking at the text, you'll see from verses 6 to 18, there are a variety of ways that the Israelites are told you can't have uh, either marriage or sexual relations with family members. And it's almost like just in case you don't understand what a close relative is, we're going to step through them. It's interesting to note that a father and a daughter are not listed because, as a lot of commentators said, that is so perverse that it would already be a known uh, understanding. But he talks about aunts and and, uh, not uh, disrespecting uh, your son's wife or your daughter-in-law, just a variety of different scenarios. And also, um, interestingly, one point talks about uh, not marrying uh, your sister's, excuse me, your wife's sister while she's alive so as to have a rival. I guess they had all learned from Rachel and Leah that that wasn't a good scenario. This next one was to treat your, treat your wife with respect, right? When, it's, uh, when she's in her monthly menstrual cycle, treat her with respect and don't, don't want that. And besides, that'll make you uh, ceremonially unclean as well. Treat your neighbor with respect. Don't go to your neighbor and try to have an affair or have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife. Treat your God and your children with respect. Verse 21, I will read it for us. says, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of, of your God. I am the Lord. So in understanding who God is and that He is the giver of life, and that you should respect life. And as Mike talked about last week, you're going to be a society that respects and loves life and respects babies. You're not going to be like other nations. And you certainly won't uh, need to respect God in this regard as well. How about treating your fellow man with respect? Don't have homosexual relations if you're male or female. Right? Treat yourself with respect. Can you imagine sex with an animal? Well, unfortunately, it was going on in the, in the land of Canaan before the Israelites got there. Verses 24 through, 20, uh, through 30 start listing the consequences for having these kinds of lurid uh, Actions. And then chapter 20 deals with the punishment as well. But please understand, if your heart, if your heart is not right and you are selfish about your own 
physical needs or your own desires, as James described it, and it, you let it run wild, this can happen. So, looking at chapter 20, we see punishment for these, right? And I want to say that the part that fails to prevent the action will have to suffer the consequence. First of all, to those who disrespect children. That's listed in verses 1 through 5. Those who disrespect God's power. Verses 6 through 8. Those who disrespect their parents. Verses 9 and 11. Those who disrespect their neighbors with adult, by, by committing adulterous acts. Verse 10. Those who disrespect their sons and daughters in law. Verse 12. Those who disrespect their fellow man. Homosexuality, as we talked about before. Those who disrespect family relations. Multiple instances of this and where it's wrong. Those who disrespect themselves. And those who disrespect their wives. God says be holy because he vomited out the nations prior in that who were in that land before because of all the unholy things that God warns about in verses 23 through 27. In the end, there are three punishment levels and none of them are good. Most are punishable by death, some by exile, and then some are told they will be childless if they have this. So, as we mentioned ago, and and sometimes it's just hard for us to imagine bestiality, crazy sexual relationships within family and all over, you know, in a variety of different ways. But in a lot of ways, it's not. And just, just as a reminder, God tells us, for these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you. And the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And does that happen? Long about 700 B.C. for the northern kingdom and about, oh, 604 to 594 for the southern kingdom? It sure does. And what, what, were, the, what were the offenses list, listed? Remember in, uh, the, the high places? That's in the Shira pole for, for Asherah, goddess of fertility. So Baal never left Canaan, unfortunately. And we couldn't completely, they couldn't completely eradicate it. There were times when spirituality was higher and there was a lot less of the practice, but unfortunately it never got away. And just as God said, the land vomited them out. Flipping over to chapter 19, I'm glad we sang the song because in this chapter we read eight times where the Bible says, I am the Lord your God, and another, I am the Lord, another eight times. If you had to say, give me one summary chapter on how you should act and what you should do, this would be a pretty good one. Leviticus 19. 
So in between these two chapters that are very specific about things to ignore from a sexual standpoint and the punishments associated with them, I was amazed to, to, to look and say, you know, this is really all about how we treat our neighbor. This is really about proactively being good. And so I want to go through the chapter and highlight some of those, those, those areas. So the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Got what? Two of the Ten Commandments there? Look and see how many you can count as we go through. You can come up and tell me afterwards. I, I know what I got. But. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they've desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your fields or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And of course, the most uh, vivid example of, of this we find in what Old Testament book on why you should let people glean? Ruth, absolutely. But think about how different that would be than working for a slave master in Egypt to get every speck of food, every bit of clay for a brick, straw, whatever was needed, but they were to be God's holy people, and God would give them enough to let others, others glean. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Interesting that so much of Genesis, especially Jacob, Laban, is marked by deceit. And even though uh, at 137 years old, the Bible says that Jacob or Israel worshiped God on his, leaning on his staff, I think God was saying, let's reset it so that we are a people of integrity. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Think about that. You're going to be so proactive that you're going to pay someone who works in your field everywhere. You're constantly thinking about your fellow man. You're proactively wanting to do good. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice in our reading from earlier. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. All too often, it's really easy to give the, the wealthy a hard time, or depending on your perspective, give the poor a hard time. But what does he say? Be kind, be fair to everyone. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. 
Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Speak up. Hold each other accountable. But don't do this. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing worn, excuse me, woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment that they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year... All its fruit will be holy, offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut off the hair of the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And of course, we remember a very famous Israelite who sought out a medium, right? Who was it? Saul, Israel's first king. And if you read in chapter 20, God says, if you let some of these people go, I'm going to seek them out myself and punish them. So if you don't punish them, I will. And that's certainly what happened with Saul. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. What great practical advice. Amen? When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. I know that was lengthy, but I had a hard time cutting any of it out. Because, as I said, the content and and the completeness of it is just beautiful in terms of how do we treat our fellow men within this community as children of God. God has always wanted His people to proactively seek the good of their fellow man. And just just to give a little more credence to this, as always, let's take our cue from Jesus when it comes to proactive acceptance, right? How about when 
he says to this Israelite or Jewish trader that's working with the Roman government who's become a tax collector, Zacchaeus, I will associate with you. As a matter of fact, I'll honor you with coming to your house. Proactive acceptance. Another tax collector, a guy named Matthew. He comes out of his tax booth and joins the, the twelve. In Matthew 8, the occupying force commander of a hundred, the centurion, Jesus absolutely looks to help him and is accepting of this foreigner who's in his land. And how about, you know, about the time we want to give the Pharisees a hard time and not associate and get all proud about that, Jesus spent time with the Pharisees as well, didn't he? As always, let's not just look at the acceptance Jesus gave, but the proactive goodwill that he did as well. In healing ten lepers, one certainly being a Samaritan. How about the Samaritan woman who struggled to stay married, but Jesus took the time to proactively get to know, and as a result of that time, An entire village was evangelized. Jesus lifts the head of Peter at the end of John's gospel, knowing that Peter's dejected after he has failed Christ by denying him the night of his trial. And finally, Jesus also sees the sinful woman at the house of Simon the Pharisee and says... What you've done for me is a beautiful thing. Your sins are forgiven. So what are our takeaways tonight? The more I read the Old Testament, and I am so glad I spent this extra time in Leviticus, because the simple fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen? Amen. There's this crazy, crazy perspective that God in the Old Testament is so much different than God in the New Testament is. And the more I read the Old Testament, the more I see Jesus, the more I see God's grace, the more I see God's love for His people and what He expected His people to do as well. And it's a lot more similar than we think. Law wasn't given so we'd declare ourselves better than others, but to help us see our own brokenness. One of the things I wanted to do also, men, is call out that men are largely targeted in these verses, especially in chapters 18 and 20. So I would say, men, stand up wherever you are in life. If you're a young man, pursue purity. Pursue God. If you're a young father, teach these principles to your children. If you're a man at any stage of mature life, take steps to safeguard your heart And also to honor your wives, daughters, friends, mother, aunts, everyone. We've proactively got to do this as men and lead not only in our homes, but in the community as well. God has always called his people to be holy, set apart. And that absolutely includes today as well. And God does everything with purpose, as should we. 
God intended all these laws not only for our good, but for the good of mankind. So let's learn this lesson of selflessness from our Heavenly Father. Because where do we say with James? You know, the temptation comes when our sinful desires just keep growing and growing and we don't, we don't address them. And let this be our righteousness. We talked about earlier with, with, with the Hebrew fathers talking to their son. Sons, let this be our righteousness. Let us be people that proactively seek to do goodwill to others. And then I think we'll be addressing what God wanted us to do. So, last week, Mike encouraged us and reminded us we're a whole royal priesthood and that it's okay to go outside of the camp with these messages. And as we go outside the camp to evangelize, let's take the joy of Jesus Christ with us.